Hi, Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 111, Ooh. and we are reading, <laughs> getting our arm day in, yeah. with The Fall of Cadia by Robert Rath. The book is about, this is going to shock everyone, but it's about the fall of Cadia. Uh, we posted several questions on our, I know, several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, Twitter, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Kind of spoiler warning in this one. Um, there is Katie one thing falls. we're going to talk about. I'm so sorry, you guys. Katie, thanks, Carrie. Well, it's, right it's, before the spoiler it's like, warning. It's like people being upset at the end of Titanic. Or at the right. end of the movie The Alamo. Yes. Having said that, there is one kind of cute, crucial detail we're going to talk about in this book that could be a spoiler warning. Um, so check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this episode as we'll be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. With that, let's dive in. Carrie, did you like the book? Yes and no. I'm the same. I loved the back 200 pages of this book. I think had this book been maybe 350 pages, I would have enjoyed it immensely. I would it would have been my book of the year. I would only say back 150 pages. So I would say about 250, 300 pages max. I felt like there was a whole lot of padding and it felt like we were getting into minutia of things that don't matter. Like a lot of this book made me feel like, like Jen already knows this analogy because I talked to her about this earlier this week. So the game Final Fantasy VII Remake. I have not played a minute of this game. These, or games. Because Squeenix likes money. <laughs> and I was, have I finished Final Fantasy VII? No, because I came to the game about 15 years too late. So it was really hard for me to get into it. But I played about probably 30, 40 hours of it before I got bored, essentially. And uh, so I know a lot. I know enough about it. And of course, I know the big ending and blah, 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 blah. So when I was told I should play remake and there and I was like, well, I heard that in the first game, like it only gets to um, when they escape um, Midgar after they blow up Shinra. I was like, and that's crazy because that was all in the first 10 minutes of the game. And they were like, oh, but you get the backstories and they're so good. I was like, the backstories of who? Like, well, you know, Jesse. It's like the chick who died in the first two minutes of the game. Yeah, and she's got this deep backstory. Yeah, I, I don't care. She died in the first two minutes of the game. She gets her foot stuck in the stairs and you can't save her because her foot is stuck. And they leave and it blows up and she's gone. So... Why do I care about this chick? Oh, she has this big, big backstory. No, I no, I don't care. She does. She has no real relevance to the game as a whole. So I don't care. And that's kind of how I felt about a lot of this book. There's a lot of backstories for things that don't matter. And I don't know why I needed to care. I will actually kind of agree with that. So one of the things, and, I, and I'm sympathetic because I really liked what Robert Rath was doing here conceptually, is that during the fall of Cadia, there were like, I mean, just untold thousands upon thousands of heroic sacrifices. Bold, daring things of people facing down horrors unimaginable 
and dying with and going down with a fight basically mm -hmm. so one of the scenes that i'll draw your attention to is early on i can't remember her name off the top of my head and i could look it up but it's the girl who she was part of the regiment that they send along with the space wolves and they talk about her going after abaddon with a shotgun like oh yeah okay yeah 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 that is incredible okay that is that is absolutely incredible and this woman just sacrifices herself without even this is what Cadians do. She sees the despoiler in front of her, and by God, she's going to go down with a fight. That's amazing. However, to your point, we spent all this time getting to know her and seeing her, like how she's feeling and like you know her, her like with her helmet with the saint on her helmet and all this kind of stuff, right? Like, and then she dies. I would actually say that the, he does this exact thing a little bit better later. It's on um, page 351, and it's when Creed is talking about the valor of the 119th. And, this, and you don't, it's equally heroic when they're like, oh, well, can we deploy them elsewhere? And he's like, they're all dead. The lead, the lead pilot martyred himself, taking out one of, like, taking out that Titan. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Right. And it does a better job of driving home just the untold valor of these people that will be forever forgotten because <laughs> everyone's dead. Like, no one's going to remember that poor girl who goes down shooting Abaddon. It just, there was a lot of little stuff like that that very similar to your story. I just, okay. Like, the first time, okay, great. And then there's another one and another one and another one and another one. And I just... There were so many parts of this book that stood out to me, and there were so many parts where it was a slog to get through. So, like that, the last two hundred pages, the, the last two hundred pages flew by for me in an instant. Yeah, same. So that prologue, I thought that set it up very, very well. So it was kind of like this whole Jesse thing with Final Fantasy VII, in a way. Yes, yeah, she, she dies, but I thought that set it set up things very, very well. For mm -hmm. look at all this sacrifice. You don't know what these people are going through. Okay, I get that. 100% but then like you said but then it just keeps happening over and over again it's like I get it like you you made your point like war is hell this sucks what all these, all these, what all these people are going through but unlike the Final Fantasy 7 thing at least it was just a few pages and not a 30 hour game about a backstory about a oh. chick who dies in the first like two to five minutes of the original game but and being. the part that makes me no, I, I totally feel the point. Yeah, it's just there's it's, so much of it. It's just there. Um, sorry, got away from my mic there. I, that was like it was a very good point. I thought that was very beautifully illustrated. And then what you said about Creed saying about the 119th, they're all dead. Okay, that's also like wonderfully illustrated in a very different way. But then to keep happening over and over and over again to keep telling these stories with these people, like I. Or not even just telling the stories of these people. It's just getting into the minutia of these battles. I just felt wasn't important and was just kind of lost in the end. It's I'll be really honest. I think Helsker might be the best example of that. Her story might be the best example of Cut to the Chase. Except that we like, now know that she's the one who brings the the diary. Yes. And, and that's, and that's great. That's super cool, right? Actually, we're gonna talk a lot about that later, because it's, oh, it's actually propping up my mic right now. There's so <laughs> many scenes, um, there's so many scenes that tied to Ashes of Katie, where I was like, oh, 
that clicks into place. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Um, mostly the coat. When she thanks Gulliman for the coat, and she's like, it still smelled like his cigar smoke. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Now we have an idea of how that got there. The diary, that's huge. But I would say half of Helsker's story, I really wasn't all that invested in. Um, I really liked Barathus. I really liked the whole Barathus and Helsker and like her mm-hmm, learning yeah. what it is to be in command and learning how to step into that role. I really liked that. Um, but, and here's the problem. Here's, here's what frustrates me about this book is that Robert Rath is still a tremendously talented author. Mm-hmm. And I, I was looking down because I had to try and find the page that I was talking about. So one of my favorite things that he does in this lore is actually page 299. It's Urcanthus's um, Ascension. Okay. And it's when he describes the ascension to demonhood. Because I always kind of wondered about this. A little low-key wondered about this. But it's where he says that um, he felt, actually felt a small and neglected human part of him die in the creation of his new self. It slid after out of him like it, as though it were a placental afterbirth that had nourished the demon in its fetal state and was no longer needed. But free will, it was the departure of free will that made his eyes go wide. And you remember even later, Artesia says, she's just like, you go where the Lord of Skulls wants you to go. Mm-hmm. Like, you are no longer, you sacrificed the literal last human piece of you. It's it's one of those little flavor things about the ascension to demonhood that I always kind of wondered about. And it's just absolutely wonderful. And yeah, I'm a sucker. I love my stupid rage monsters. So I was really invested in Rakanthos' story because my stupid little rage monsters. <laughs> Well, but it that's what was so frustrating is that like for every scene like that. Right. There was like 10 or 20 pages that I'm like this could have been cut. This really could have been. Right. So what I because liked about that scene talking. also was that the whole idea of like you know you you've you've lost free will and it made me even sadder for uh Angron cuz he's now just somebody else's slave but he just has no idea. And so okay. And it must flow, man. Right. And it also makes me wonder about Fulgrim, about how he has just holed himself away because he mm-hmm. realizes he doesn't have his free will. It might explain why a few of the Primarchs who have ascended to demonhood are suddenly AWOL. Lorgar, Lorgar. Perturbo mm-hmm. was gone for a long time, right? Um, really, um, uh, Mort- oh my god, Mortarian. What to Mortarian when he decided to go his own path? Exactly. Like now he's in his room without dinner. He got sent to bed without dessert. Um, it just, it's one of those things. Where just, what? Um, I really Magnus. liked it though. I thought, I thought it added such a nice little flavor text to that. And, you know, Magnus will pop out every now and then. And mm-hmm. decide he wants to make things bad for the space wolves because he, even though in the Horus Heresy before his ascension, he said he was over all of it. And he didn't care. <laughs> now that he's a demon, now he cares. So is that just because the character changed or is that because he's lost his free will? And this is how Zinch is playing with him. Or is it because Zinch just finds that amusing? That whole thing just amuses Zinch. So it he could. just kind of. Maybe nudges in that way. I don't know. But there is a big question here, right? That I thought, I thought that was a lovely little piece. Again, Rath is such a talented author. There were so many scenes that I loved. And obviously, Trazen, I think at this point, Trazen just belongs to Robert Rath. Um, yeah. 
his use of treason. I was so delighted when he he's like, I, he's enjoyed talking to Call. He hasn't had this much stimulation since he dropped that mountain on Oregon so many years oh, before. <laughs> my God. I died with that. Dropped I thought that mountain. was so good. <laughs> and this goes back to one of my like core things that I always pick up on and love in Warhammer 40k books when people find friends because it's a dark and awful universe. And even Trazen wants a friend because remember when he's talking to Call and he's like, don't worry, I'm going to brain shackle you and we're going to have wonderful conversations <laughs> like he's so excited to talk to this little baby ten thousand years old such a baby um creature that's amazing and absolutely amazing but i love thing is though it's like he, he wants they a, argued he, he wants a friend but at the same time he's like the abominable snowman you know he doesn't know how to make a friend he just wants to love him and squeeze him and hug him and tease him and name him george and then keep him like kidnap him he doesn't give him the free will to be like we can still chat whenever dude it's cool like you have my number you can find you me. know where to find me. I mean, apparently tracing just oh can hop in and out of interdimensional pockets whenever you feel it feels like it. So you want to come talk? Let's talk. Let's just talk for a spell. Like it just loved it. I that whole stuff is amazing. Um, and honestly, I think it starts on page four hundred, or no, it starts a few pages before that. But the whole section with Mordlead when he um. Starting when he's like, I've had a vision. We can no longer. Oh my God. Oh my God. You want to talk about a part that stood out to me? Really? Yes. The Black actually, Templar stuff just, I mean, I just I'll zoned out. I was so bored through all of the Black Templar stuff. But here's the thing. Um, okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna curse early in the podcast tonight, which is a change kind of a change for us, but one of the initial notes that I took reading this book was Fuck the sororitas. People are dying, but oh yes, protect the fucking shrine. Them and the Black Templars. Losing sight of the bigger picture to oh, go yeah. and... I swore I was defending this rampart. Yeah, you're not doing any good, but we promised. But but we needed elsewhere. But we promised. That's why I love when Mordlead is like, this isn't even a rampart anymore. It's right. a pile of rubble. Because I totally, I'm with you. On the Black Templar stuff, I was like, oh, God, not these guys again. Like, <laughs> painful, painful reading. And then that scene where he's the one who was like, no, we're done here. Thank God for you, man. Thank God for you. And I thought it was really interesting because that whole time that was really bothering me. So the fact that he kind of does the, this is ridiculous. We are not helping. Earlier, Genevieve kind of has a conversation with Eleanor, right? Mm -hmm. When she's just like... Are we still here? We right. could be helping. Mm. <laughs> well, that was like, it's hard. Like, who do you blame for that? Was that the soror? Was that Eleanor of the sororitas? Or was that the cardinal? who was like right. barking orders. Which would, to me, make sense why he'd be like, no, you must protect the shrine because he's thinking of himself, which is kind of what I think of most of the ecclesiarchy anyway. And... <sighs> that opens up a whole other thing, but focusing elsewhere for now. What other parts stood out to you? Man, the part that probably hit me so hard was Kel's death. And it's mainly because, <laughs> like, I really liked Kel a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I did too. Yeah, you always need that that good guy to. What is that like? Behind every great man isn't even like usually the sarcastic woman is, is a better woman, but it's also like there is a 
there was a, another great man, and Kel was that great man, basically. He was like his Jurgen, but oh my God, yes, but you know, a little more with it with stuff, and he was so good, and he all he did was just really take care of Creed. And honestly, what I thought was so great was not only did he save Creed at the end and stood before the despoiler, but how he makes the despoiler mad. Throwing his own He's words. Such a failure. Why do you dress like him? That was my favorite line. That might be my favorite line I of mean, the year. Spoiler alert like, for the book club awards. He was like, you know, because the spoiler tells him your death will be a dishonor. And Kel, because you're slaying me with the same gauntlet that killed an angel and touched the emperor. How is that a dishonor? I am no failure like Horus. If he's such a failure, why do you dress like him, huh? Greatness. Love it. It's one of those things that, and here's the thing about this, is that while you could say that it feels like, it, it feels like a, it's, it very much, all I could think of was, of course, does Barry Manilow know you raid his wardrobe? Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's a very cheeky line. It's perfectly in character with him. They had already established throughout that he had a very sharp wit. He knew how to talk to people. He knew how to cut to the point. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. He goes out like a badass. The character is so well established throughout the book. He probably has the best death in the whole book. Agreed. So in terms other, of just... Probably the other thing that stood out to me was also an Abaddon scene. It's when Morkath is pleading with him to let her off the fortress. And he's like, I'm sorry, Morkath, I've disappointed you. But in my experience, that's what fathers do. Ouch. I'm going to talk a lot more about the fortress trial. Just a brilliant, brilliant way to kind of wrap that up. Oh, and then, of course... um, I liked everything with this Katarina Grayfax person. The fact that Trazen's like, if I let this out, it'll never stop. Like, it's a last resort. And then she sees Celestine and she's just like, who's that bitch? Like, and, you know, yells at Abaddon that he can't kill her because she needs to interrogate her. Cracked me. I was like, so typical of the Order of Hereticus. I'm going to interrogate you because you can't be a saint unless I say so. Well, yeah, she's, and I think that's the, the kind of, they allude to that that's always been her thing because remember, Celestine's like 10,000 years old. Well, she other- is she is familiar with this one and she doesn't like it. And I like the, why do people listen to her? Well, she she is pretty. That's probably, probably helps because she has a very pretty face. Like, girl. <laughs> Are you just not asking for a friend? Is this going to be like an enemies to lovers sort of thing here? Because I'm starting to pick up the sexual tension between the two of you. But see, I also thought that was such a great kind of parallel to the Saint Cel- to the Celestine book that we read, Andy Clark. Because when she comes back then, there is that Ordo Hereticus that uh-huh. doesn't believe she's a saint. Yeah, it's just, he's like, she's not a saint because I say she's not a saint. Like, a, Ordo Hereticus is... So interesting. Um, so interesting. Yeah. And, and of course, like, probably the best line, the best part to me is when uh, Inquisitor Davura, Daverna gets hit by enemy sniper. 
It's also Helsker at her best when she changes to the broadband and is just like, man, you got to be careful for enemy snipers. They're all over the place. Brilliant. Uh, and that whole that scene with her and Greyfax, I nothing nothing makes me happier than the Inquisition fighting amongst themselves. Uh, although this did actually ultimately benefit people, I was actually a little shocked. Like, okay, again, we have established. Did anybody else read the Emperor's Gift? We have established that this is how the Inquisition do mass demon experiences must be punished. We can't let these people off. The fact that she was like, nope. We're going to exterminate us. Nobody's getting off of here. Not a single person. I loved when Greyfax is like, uh, belay that order. I'm older than you. Absolutely not. We're getting off this planet. I'm trying to imagine Gulliman. Was, was Diverna Hereticus or Malleus? I thought she was head of Hereticus, but it could be wrong. Hereticus. Yeah, they were both Hereticus okay. because... She gives her Rosette number, and then Greyfax is like, um, my authority here is from before you were born. Which is true. I mean, because um, it's really more of a malleus thing, honestly, to be like, nobody's getting off because because of, of demon taint. Because that's what we saw with, you know, the Emperor's Gift. Because that's usually who runs with the right. Grey Knights or the Ordo Malleus. But Heretic, I mean, Hereticus is so weird. Hereticus is very Especially weird. Especially when you find out about Greyfax that she she killed Inquisitor Valeria be, for trying to close the Eye of Terror. terror. I mean... Mm. And yeah. then here's the funny thing about her is that she's a tremendously powerful psyker when she grabs Abaddon. For right. a hot second, she grabs him and it's like, oh honey, you need to pick a lane, dear. None of this cats is coming back to Broadway bullshit. All right. So let's talk about within this story. There's a lot going so, on. Which, God, there's so much going and on. I think that's so. Oh, my gosh. So it makes me want to go back to like, OK, maybe I'm being too unfair with like the minutia because there is so much going on. So when I read Katie Stans years ago. And um, I took that as like the only writing available about Katie's fall. And Creed was in there, but they talk about how he disappeared. And so that's kind of fun now knowing what happens to him uh, many years later. Um, but then, like, when I hear from, like, from, from you and I heard from other readers, they're like, oh, but St. Celestine was there and this person was there and this person was there. I was like, okay, so why was this never written about? They're like, well, why would they? It was in the Codex. Oh, Okay. Okay, so they don't want to recap what's going on. So it's, it's so funny because I've always asked, like, well, they should write a book for those who don't read the codices. And now we have it. And I'm like, oh, but it's so much. Sorry, I've become that person that can't please. But I just think that, yes, there is so much, but there would have there is a different way to kind of go about with this so much. Because to be totally honest... I did not need the backstory with Genevieve and Eleanor. No, I didn't really. Because all you had to have was because we already knew is the order of our martyred lady. We already knew if the saint shows up, they're immediately going to be her color guard because that's what they do. 
I, I really didn't need this whole thing with Urkanthos. Like, I'm going to kill these twins. Well, who who cares in the end? It, it never, none of it even mattered. They ended up being like her bodyguards. Okay, you didn't have to go into details about that because it could have been just two random sisters. It could have been, okay, the sisters are, are leaving the shrine. Well, that's kind of what the Order of Our Mar Martyred Lady does, right? Didn't need to go into this huge backstory about the the infighting between these two sisters, like biological mm -hmm. sisters of, of why they were leaving and, and why they were going to leave or why they were not. Right. That's, I actually, I agree I think, with that entirely. I think that's that's where I'm kind of like, yes, I do know there was a whole lot, but I felt like some stuff was just padded out for no reason. It It felt... Like there was about 350 pages of book here, but there were the, the assignment was for 550. Hmm. And I, I agree with that in that. So on the Imperial side, let's focus on the Imperial side. Cause there's two sides to this really. There's the Imperial side and then there's the Abaddon's side. Um, whose stories not only most resonated with you, but when you think about the fall of Cadia to your point, like with Celestine and Greyfax all being there, Whose stories really felt necessary for us to understand the impact of the fall of Cadia and what was going on there? And I, Eleanor and Genevieve, I'm not sure they make the cut. Like, I liked towards the end there, I loved them with Celestine. I actually absolutely loved the scene where they wake up basically in purgatory and are like, what's going on? Like, I thought that whole scene was beautiful. I thought that was amazing. But you're right. They could have been sisters A and B. And I don't think their whole warring, and I understand like there's still people are people and they all have these unique backstories and these detailed histories that led them to be where they are. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't that emotionally invested in their stories. Like, again, right. I loved Celestine, but you're right. The Gemini Superior could have been literally anybody. Right. Like they could have even just been like, oh yeah, hey, look, there's two twin sisters and the sisters and uh, the Gemini Superior now. And I would have been like, oh, okay, that tracks. Especially since like the whole Adeptus Sororitas, they were slaughtered because they were dumb. If they had... It's stubborn. Stuck, right, because if they had left the shrine and they had gone to help where Creed asked them to go, maybe we wouldn't have had, well, we know that we wouldn't have had a different ending because they had already decided that Katie was going to fall, but... Right. I think the thing is, but to make them be that stubborn, just kind of like hammers home the fact that water is wet. Yes, the orders of the order of our martyred lady are very stubborn and they just stick to their shrines and their relics and whatever. We didn't need a huge backstory on that because like this is known. Um, like I would actually say a book that very similar in nature is Shroud of Night. So if you recall, we had a little, like, I'm not saying that you don't have to talk about the sisters at all, right? Like, we had quite a bit of history on the sisters that are in that book, right? But they don't overdo it. And at the end of this book, similar to Shroud of Night, it's bonkers. You have Celestine battling literal Abaddon, not like just some major war master of K, like, literally Abaddon is there. Right? You have the Legion of the Damned. You have this Inquisitor. You have Trazen. You have Call. I did not see the Legion of the Damned coming. Oh my god. When they're on the fortress and they describe and she's just like, oh yeah, the Imperial's demons. I was like, first off, go screw yourself. Second off, excuse you. Third off, oh my god, I'm here for this. Like, but there's so much going on. 
kind of fascinating after Legion of the Dam, you know, let Abaddon out. And now they're like, oh, wait, you were going to do this? No. <laughs> wait a second. We didn't oh. sign up for this. Right. This was not I part feel... of the deal. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, whoopsie. Um, I feel as though. I, yeah, I feel like that kind of stuff kind of bogs this down. Like, I think we can both agree Ursacar Creed and Kel. Kel was very integral because he's such an important part of Creed that I liked the idea, especially when Creed was like, I didn't even write the speeches. That was him. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the Cadia stands united. That yeah. gets cut off. It becomes Cadia stands. Like, I like this idea that Ursacar Creed is, he's a tactical guy. He's, you know, military genius. But he had a good support staff, as you said. So I actually feel like that was very integral to his character. Kel's story was so important. I'm going to make an even hotter take because I loved Kestrel. I thought she was a really neat character. But um, I'm really sure she's ultimately necessary to the story. Helsker, half of her story was just a little long and I wasn't that invested in. But as we already pointed out, mm. Helsker felt important to the story. Right, call obviously is important to the story. Right, I mean she she definitely had a place. Um, you know, his story was kind of invested in of all people that was Selvar Gents. Oh, okay. We'll I go like with you the on idea of this mafia guy, <laughs> a mafia guy who basically gets turned his evil into for good purposes to help Creed. Well, like, I mean, it's either that or death. So, cake or death. Um, right. Le legitimize your nastiness or death. Um, but no, I'm actually with you on that. When they first introduced Salvar again, I was like, I don't really care about this. Like, again, did I know? And that was one of the really interesting things that I think Robert Rath, he went a little too long winded with it and it did bore me a little bit in places. Sorry. But I did like the idea that, because like, the Cadians who are off-world that we see, they come from a perfect utopia. Right. Where everyone is good and everyone knows their duty. But then you read this book and you're like, do, do they? Or is it a planet just like any other? That, yes, it breeds recidivism, like obviously because of the eye, right? We get a whole lot of chaos kind of stuff. But it also breeds recidivism because of its culture, because of its high perfection, right? I loved the idea of Salvar Gent. I love the idea that, no, they've got mob. They've got mob bosses, too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was actually very invested in his story because he's kind of a fun thing. But he also, he goes to serve and tell us a lot about Ursacar Creed. The right. whole fact that he comes to Gent tells us a lot more about Creed, right? Yeah, he's, he's like, Kel wants to kill you. Man. Kel will kill you now if I'd let him. But I see worth <laughs> and i like yeah. that gent is at least savvy enough to be like yeah okay you know and i had i cared nothing about the cultist ravetsky but i did I like it nothing. when gent was the one who got him oh my god i love that when gent's because i liked when ravetsky was like trying to use his nonsense right right and he's like you don't want to shoot me <laughs> he's like Oh, for God's sake. Completely immune to it. Yeah, they are. Yeah. That's kind of what he was trying to do, yeah. right? And Gint is like, 
I felt like it was that scene with, uh, you will release the bookie to me, and Jabba starts laughing. Yeah, Gent was Jabba in that situation. Actually, in no. more ways than one. No, Gent was not Jabba. He was um, uh, Wada. He's like, Jedi mind tricks don't work on me, only money. <laughs> I know you hate the prequels, but that's, that, I do. that's what works on Salvar Gent. Jedi mind tricks don't work on me, only money. It's true. It is very much true. He, um, very pragmatic, very practical character. Mm -hmm. I loved him. Absolutely loved him. And even like down when they're on the plane and he has some low sticks and the guy's like, oh man, I would like pay a lot for those. He's like, oh yeah, how much? Like instantly looking for his next, next way to make money. Well, because he's, I mean, he's a gangster at heart. That's right. what he knows. He's an right? entrepreneur. He's, he's, an, he's an independent entrepreneur. Yep. Um, absolutely loved his story. And initially when they first introduced him, I was, again, I was like, nope, became one of my favorite characters at the end. It was absolutely rooting for him because mm -hmm. he was such a fun little underworld character. I like me a good mob boss. I guess is what I'm saying here. Um, always kind of fun. Was there anybody else though where you were just like, oh yes, no, this person's story definitely had to be told in this much detail? No. Not even Glaive. I'm gonna be really honest. I initially I had the opposite reaction, opposite journey that I had with Ghent with Glaive. With Glaive, initially, I was like, ooh, okay, all right, this is interesting. And, man, by the halfway point through his story, I was just like, nah, I'm over it. Yeah. And by the end, yeah. I mean, I did, the one thing I will say, I did like that he takes the bullet that's made, meant for Creed. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh, my God, you would have killed him. Or it would have killed him. And I do like when he's like, he was like forever behind me sad i mean they yeah. he ended out the story really nicely but yeah i was not all that invested in glaive i started out liking him but by the end i didn't really care that's kind of felt about kestrel like beginning i really liked her story i thought it was very fascinating the end i was like okay i would say that i would have liked her chat i would have liked her story condensed like, i feel like she wore out her welcome just like I very much so like glaive if we didn't have all the middle parts with Glaive, his stay would have been just fine. Again, that's where I come back to. I think this needed at least 150 pages chopped off, maybe 200. Right. It was it was a little brutal in that. Like, I think you're right. The intro was all very good and very interesting, but it's, it's like the first third. Like a middle chunk in there. Yeah, I mean, it's like great expectations. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. All right, let's. Bounce over to Maybe I Abaddon. Maybe explain myself for people who have never read Great Expectations. And if you haven't, I envy you. It's a Charles Dickens novel that Not most... that bad. Um, so, okay. You go read Bleak House. You tell me which one of those books Okay, I have not about. read that one. But you also haven't read Moby Dick. So anyway. I'll I have. I thought you said you never read Moby Dick. No, I have read Moby Dick. I've read it twice. That's a long story, though. Okay, well, I, I'm sorry, I'm confusing you with somebody else. Well, damn it, now I have to read Bleak House. I'm not going to read Bleak House. Um, do not read Bleak House. <laughs> Spoiler so, alert, do not. So, Great Expectations is one of those, like, it's one of Dickens' most famous works. On a whole, it's a good story. The problem is, is that 
it's in three pieces and that middle piece needs to go. Maybe about 25, 50 pages of that total. I'd agree with that. Yeah, needs to be told. So that's kind of like I'm feeling with this. You got the beginning. Most a lot of the middle can go. And then you got greatness at the end. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Well, Because I'm trying to think if there was anything in the middle that I really, you know, other than Arcanthos's, but that's even then I would sacrifice Arcanthos's story for that because even Arcanthos kind of got like that whole, I renounce you, corn. I was like, okay. Like, I didn't, I didn't well, need that whole section. That like, that just either even... send him to demonhood or nah. Well, there's a lot of that that didn't end up meaning anything later, right? Right. I did... Okay, so bridging over into Abaddon and his side and his merry his band of merry men, Arcanthos was really, sorry, um, was really the only one in whose story I was invested, and it's probably because we really get to know Arcanthos the best. And well, we don't but again, just like else, tell for Morkath, I guess. But eh. right, we're going to talk a lot about her in a sec. Um, one of the things that, like, as I was talking about, like, Kel and Ghent, how they're kind of, they really are just there to kind of bolster and tell you more about Creed. Arcanthos really was there to tell you more about Abaddon, right? To see how he deals with his people. The whole idea of you have these warring generals who all want to take Cadia for their god so that Abaddon will owe that god a solid. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very fascinating. Yeah. I loved this whole, because we haven't really seen the inner workings of Abaddon since the Black Legion books. And mm -hmm. that's in what, the second or third Black Crusade? I think it's actually the first or second ones that we get to see in those books. So it's been a little bit. Um, you might say it's been a spell. Um I loved that whole idea and I liked Arcanthos and I loved at the end when he's just like, oh, he was just going to blow me up in the city. I should have seen that coming. Right. But I wasn't, I wasn't really that, that all that invested in what was going on with Abaddon. I was more invested with Abaddon. Like I loved when the space wolves first encounter him and he's like, oh my God, that is a war master. That's not some petty upstart warlord. That is a war master. And mm -hmm. he like, he's not afraid because he's a space marine, but he's taken aback, let's say. Right. That was interesting. But I really, I didn't really care about any of his followers. Oh, I don't really get to know any of them except for Urkanthos and maybe a little bit of Zarephiston, I think his name was. Mm -hmm. And uh, a little bit, itty bitty bit, and Morkath. Mm-hmm. And I'm disappointed in how her story went. All right, let's talk Just about let's talk about her. I wanted, what I wanted my pop culture reference. Damn it! <laughs> look at me, Damien. It's all for you. That's what I wanted. I wanted her to be like, look at me, like Dad. I'm doing this for you, hurling the fortress into the planet to make you happy. And that's not what happened at all. And that was kind of a letdown. Okay, so this weird thing here. I'm gonna let's talk about the fortress child and what's. What purpose does she serve to the overall narrative of both the fall of Cadia and Warhammer 40k? And here's the thing. That was totally what I was expecting was going to happen. I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going to happen here is that the eye is going to be closing, right? Which is going to scare the hell out of Abaddon. They're going to have no other real option because they can't shoot it because of the null array. And she's going to 
look at me, father. Mm-hmm. It's all for you. And pilot the Blackstone Fortress into the planet. That's really not what ends up happening. He basically... It's an interesting... It is an interesting character note for Abaddon, right? He's very much like a child. The to- This toy is no longer useful. Exactly. I don't want to play with you anymore. So, But he was going here- that way... Like, for a while, he's like, I can't believe you didn't notice, like, the null array. Well, do you not understand the point of a null array? Like, that's why she wouldn't have detected it. And he got all mad about, you know, that there was people on the ship and you didn't even notice him. Well, the ship's funny that the ship is hiding them from her. That's interesting. It's almost like the ship knew, you're going to destroy me and I don't like it. It's almost like the Blackstone Fortresses are not fully understood by anyone. Oh, you think? Yeah, I think mean, it's so weird. I mean, because I really thought she was like a product of the fort of the fortress somehow, and then you find out, oh no, she was just an experiment of many other experiments that had failed. Yeah, that had gone awry. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the thing for me with him that I found most telling is when she's like, "Oh my god, this one guy, I can't read his thoughts anymore." Which, by the way, really quickly, again, going back to how talented I think Robert Rath is and how much I like his ideas. Her, the way that she saw people's thoughts, mm-hmm. so like the Iron Warrior being all those gears, um, the, oh god, the his alpha, name just slipped. Alpha Legion with the tarot cards. Oh my god, yes, and like the calligraphic, the, calli- the cal- bleh, calligraphy, <laughs> get that word out eventually. Um, of the word that the one guy, yes, that they had in their head, the way that it comes out and stuff like that, that's beautiful. I thought that was... And Abaddon has, like, basically a solar system because he's thinking on a galactic stage, right? Like, the whole idea, that whole idea is just <laughs> beautiful, just and I love it. Red smear. <laughs> like, kind of like ink, right? And, like, the yeah. way she was describing that. Now, here's the thing that's kind of funny. Is that taken whole cloth from Robert Jordan? Yes, absolutely. But did he take something that was kind of lame in Robert Jordan and make it badass? Uh, yeah. But... I don't know that that made her character worth it because in the end he just ends up sacrificing her. And then I'm like, cause he had no, you God, now suddenly really I don't even, he didn't even sacrifice her. He was just like, he threw her in the waste basket. Basically. Yes. It's like, all I could think about is that, uh, that scene from, um, toy story with the nightmare that Woody has. I don't want to play with you anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Did we just, I just referenced toy story. In reference to Warhammer 40k. Anyway, moving on. Um, that's okay. I think I did that, earlier. So you did Monsters Inc. with the Abominable Snowman. Oh, um, it's Pixar night, y'all. Um, every now and then we just get on a theme. I didn't, in hindsight, like as soon as he made it clear that he was just gonna throw her in the trash basket, as you said, I was like, what was the point of her? To be honest, you could have removed her character. And, God, I'm going to reference the Big Bang Theory, which, but anyways. Oh, talking about the Raiders of the Lost Ark Theory? Yeah. yeah. You could have removed all of Morkath's story, and the end is the same. He doesn't even need her to pilot the Blackstone Fortress into the planet. He pushes it with the vengeful spirit. Like a little tugboat. Well, she wasn't even flying it anyway. They had a, a shipmaster on there. Yeah. So, but, like, she didn't even, like, like she she really didn't serve a purpose other than to show us that. And I know that everyone probably is going to need to sit down for this because this is going to be a little bit of a revelation, but Abaddon doesn't really form attachments to people. 
I know you're shocked. You're just speechless. Um, I think we already kind of knew that. He formed an attachment to one person. Maybe two. Hmm. I would say Erebus and um, Horus. And that is it. Probably Iskander Kane, since we know that Iskander is still running around. I don't think he's attached Kane. to him. Not like that. I think much like going back to something Mortarian said to Gulliman, where he's like, where he's, he basically says that like the emperor, or I think it was actually it was Gulliman when he ta- when he's reminiscing and talking about the emperor. It's like he instead of like a father son reunion, it was more like a carpenter who had found his favorite tool. Right. I think Iskander came, but I, I still think that's a sort of a relationship, right? The fact that he hasn't gotten rid of him, hasn't killed him. Well, I mean, arguably he's on terror right now, but right. Um, you know what I mean? Like he, he still has this guy right. following because him he around. he has a use for him. I think Abaddon, just because I've seen it in reading the Horus Heresy, he has a huge attachment to his father. Yes. He had a huge attachment with um, Garvio Loken and Torgadon. And little Horus and Erebus, because you know talking to Erebus. But I think then then he he kills Torgadon. Mm-hmm. They believe Loken's dead, even though he's not. And little Horus Axamand is kind of doing his own thing and kind of stays out of Abaddon's way. And Abad and so, but when Horus hasn't happened yet, but it's happening now. But when Horus leans too far into the gods and becomes like that failure. It crushes Abaddon. So it's literally like, I will never love again. Are you suggesting he's scared to love again? Yeah. I mean, I was actually thinking of the Princess Bride right there. She's like, I will never love again. That's kind of it. He gets crushed and that's it. He's he's done. Because think about in Black Legion when they found him on the Vengeful Spirit. His hair was all disheveled and he was just like, just leave me alone. Like, leave me here to die. He was done. And... Yeah, so he now he only cares for people as much as he has a use for them. I would agree with that. And that's I mean yeah, I, I it's 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 very true and I think we we already kind of knew that. Like I don't think we really needed to see through this human. And we already kind of also saw it, I would argue, in if you've read the Iron Warriors omnibus when um when I uh, my favorite character whose name I just escaped me, uh, Hansu. When Hansu goes and he meets Moriana, oh, living in exile on that planet, and she's just like, Yeah, he discarded me like trash because I was no longer useful to him because she wasn't telling him what he wanted to hear, was basically her analysis of the situation, which is probably true if we're being honest. Because again, with Morcath, he, um, he starts getting cold to her as soon as she's like, Oh, I can't read that one guy's thoughts. And then she says that she can't read Urkanthos' thoughts after he ascends to demonhood. And he's Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, okay. Is there anybody whose thoughts left that you can read? Right. And so honestly, the fact that she didn't, she wasn't the one steering the ship and saying like, father, this was all for you, makes her story even less important. That's what I'm saying is that... She really serves no no narrative purpose in the end. You could remove her story entirely. And like I in the whole thing between her and Arcanthos, like, do I really care that he spent basically her entire life wanting to kill her because he was still butthurt about their initial meet cute? 
Um, again, more enemies to lovers. <laughs> it was a neat, cute. She killed his BFF, tied him up in some stuff. Like, you know, as you do. Look for the Hallmark movie coming soon. Um, do I care about that, really? Not particularly. I really don't. Um, and the Blackstone Fortresses in and of themselves are fascinating. And I would, I really want to read the Blackstone Fortress series because I'm very, very intrigued by them. No one's stopping you. Time. <laughs> just, just need more time. Um, but the... I like I like that whole concept. I don't even think this really like I don't even think her, she really gave us more insight into the Blackstone Fortresses other than wait a minute they don't really know how they work. We kind of already knew that. Mm-hmm. Like you could have told me that he just figured out like a way to like using the warp or something to pacify it, and I'd have been like, oh, okay, that tracks. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about something fun. Which we've already kind of alluded to. Trazen makes an awfully important acquisition in this book. Can we also point out, this is the second time he has his eyes on a prize and gets distracted by an even better prize? Well, I knew he wasn't going to take Abaddon. Or or Call. Like, we knew that he wasn't going to get either one of them. But I did like when he's talking to Call and he's like, oh, yes, I know this story. Don't eat me. Let me cross the bridge. Okay, says the that little cracked me up. That cracked me up. Absolutely cracked me up. Um, but I do like the idea that he has creed. An elaborate somewhere. It's absolutely amazing. It also explains the scene where she's like, how did I get this coat? And why does it still smell like cigar smoke? Because mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe some inquisitor pulled some sort of thing. But this is even better. <laughs> And I would really like to imagine him somehow just telling Trazen, can I just do this? Can I just give my daughter this coat? Like, please. Um, Maybe he does it like as a breadcrumb trail. Like, uh, I'm still alive, yo. (laughs) Trapped by Necrons. Who hasn't been? (laughs) Man, it's like I felt so bad for that poor ultramarine company. That was just like. That they were just like. Oh my god, remember Kelth and they're charging after Abaddon, like our Primarch will stop you. And he's like, oh dude. <laughs> well, I love when he's just like, I will drag you before the Emperor to answer for this. I was like, Oh, this guy needs to die, because otherwise this is gonna be a very long conversation. <laughs> I mean, that's probably one of my favorite, you know, Abaddon scenes where he's just like, there are no Primarchs, and killing you is actually a blessing to not know what has happened to the present day it's like oh man facts i was gonna say where's the lie (laughs) (laughs) facts indeed no cap um i also actually not think about it other abaddon line is when celestine is yelling at him where she's like you know i'm an angel of the emperor and he's like i've seen an angel (laughs) you're not an angel like i like that yes you didn't have to go that hard Abaddon woke up and chose violence this morning. Oh, well, that's um, obvious that this whole book could be called Abaddon woke up and chose violence. Well, I actually liked, so if you go back to an earlier scene when she's fighting her Canthos and he's like, why are you not saying anything to me? And she's like, you're not worth my words. But then with Abaddon, she's absolutely sparring with Abaddon. Mm-hmm. Um, loved it. You know, now that I think about it. Are they going to bring Creed back? 
So like, just Trey's going to bust him out of Hawk at some point? Well, it just makes me, reminds me, like, at the last words were, you know, that, um, that Abaddon took another drink and let, let the gal watch the galaxy burn. Like, why wasn't he fiddling? That would have been awesome. It would have been amazing. <laughs> Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say that it's pretty awesome drinking wine from the goblet made from the skull of your failed clone father. I, I do like those references. Fun. Does he have, does he have a whole set like the other failed Primarchs too? <laughs> well, if you remember one of them like exploded in the tank and they're like, what was that? <laughs> I think it was corn, not corn, but that one uh, was Angron. Angron. He was made of bad clay. <laughs> <laughs> Fulgrim is like already a snake and like hissing at them. And they're like, the hell? <laughs> It was Horus. a bad batch. Yeah, exactly. That would do, that would need to go a little bit longer in the <laughs> oven. Um, but I loved the idea, like him drinking out of the skull of his dead cloned father, watching the galaxy burn. Oh my god! Speaking of, do you clones, think it's still the trash wine that he? Do you think it's still the trash wine that he was brewing in Black Legion? <laughs> the toilet wine. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the chaos toilet wine. <laughs> <laughs> So, here's my question. Is Trazen going to have Clone Grim have a chat with Creed? Oh my. They're going to be in the same exhibit. Um, <laughs> or, or, because now that we've established that Trazen is the final boss of Pokemon Gym Masters, <laughs> now that we've established this, is that what's going to happen at some point? They're going to have to be like in another desperate battle and he's just going to be like, Ursicar Creed, go! Yes. Creed's going to be like, Ongrim, go! Creed's just going to look around like, the hell? That's Creed. He's going to be like, sure. Or actually in Cadian, the frack? Right. I, uh, I would be here for it. I'm just saying. Every time he goes into a Pokeball battle. All right. Let's get into a bunch of meta commentary here. Here's the biggest thing that you and I talked about a lot. And we've already kind of alluded to this, but I really want to go into this. Okay. I've already said that if this book was shorter, it would have been my book of the year. I really enjoyed it. There was a lot of great scenes and there's some really great writing, blah, 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 blah. Here's all of my caveats before I say. Was this book entirely necessary? Did we need another telling of the fall of Cadia. Um, well, I mean, it's hard. I think we needed this book years ago. Like around when Cadia Stands came out. We were looking to fill in some of the gaps because Cadia Stands told one story. And talked about how Creed disappeared. And there was a lot of things in there because, like, I didn't know about Celestine being there because I don't read the codices or I don't get the the uh, rule books and, and all of that. So I didn't know about a lot of this stuff. I think it would have been good years ago. I'm really curious why we're getting all of this Cadia stuff now. Like, I haven't started reading Shadow of the Eighth, Justin Hill's uh, fourth Minkalesque book. But, you know, a lot of, but that trilogy that I just finished reading, you know, it was a lot about, because these were actual survivors of the fall of Cadia, and then dealing with what, how they feel Cadian and all that. And they were great, great books. 
But why is her story continuing? Like, I love for the I love the character. Like, I would love to, to re read more about her. But I just feel like all of a sudden we're getting so much stuff about Cadia all of a sudden. Like, Ashes of Creed. Shadow of the Eighth. Um, now the, the long, long shot long is shot. about Cadians. Yeah. yeah. A fall of Creed. Um, you know, fall of Creed, fall of Cadia and Creed. I mean, Creed both. And they both kind of, kind of about the same. And which I, you know, last year, this thing, time, exactly a year ago, we had the Kazarkin book. Um, one thing I find interesting is that because Games Workshop and Black Library said, that they weren't going to allow any more stories pre-rift. Right. So I find it interesting that we're having so this, which is obviously pre-rift, and we're having so many other stories that talk about the time pre-rift and how they're dealing with the rift when that, because Katia fell at, back in 2017. Mm -hmm. We're almost, I mean, we're not too far from 10 years away, honestly, from that, and now we're going back to Cadia to to when it fell. So I'm just very curious, like what, where they're going with this? Why are they telling this story now? Maybe they didn't need to tell the story back in 2017, but shit, even in 2018, 2019, it would have been useful information. It's oh, you've actually hit on something. Okay, so do you remember we read Dark Imperium? Mm -hmm. They were talking about demons on Terra, and we were like, what? And that's when somebody told us to go and read the Vaults of Terra series. 10 out of 10 right. would recommend. Thank you to whomever did that. No, that was the Watchers of the Throne. And the Vaults of Terra, because yeah. I mean, the Vaults of Terra deals with the other. So Watchers of the Throne, the, the mm -hmm. Vaults of Terra, all of this stuff, All kind of, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think had this book come out around that time, it would have really explained the rift what the ramifications of the rift were um oh, what was going on how we got here most importantly why gulliman thinks we can close it right because so katie stans talked about the pylons and i could tell the pylons were something important but i didn't realize until this book that oh by the way that's necron make and they specifically oh, did yeah. that for you know keeping it closed or try to keep that keep that at bay as long as possible. Um, so, I mean, a lot of that information would have been very useful because <laughs> it would have right. Because because like Gullman's like we're going to close it, dude. How? Why would you even think that we know how? Well, this is how they know how. Most likely, right. call, like, I had call would have told him. Exactly. And that stuff I had kind of picked up on through other, like, th some of the codice stuff that was published online. The ones that sorry. fall off the back of a truck? The ones that fall off the back of a truck. I'm sorry. They're on Reddit. I don't... I, I'm sorry. I, I already spend enough money on Games Workshop stuff. Especially when I'm just trying to fill in the... Just fill in the blanks. I'm not trying to play the game here. Um, so all of that stuff kind of made sense. But, like, the whole thing... Actually, one of the, one of the, like, the, the throwaway things in here that... I found out that I was like, you know what, had they published, now that you're saying this, had they published this in 2017, probably would have been really nice just from a, all these conversations kind of stuff. Again, you're able to infer all of this online, figure it all out, piece it all together, right? But when <laughs> Call is like, oh yeah, so I've gone back and I've looked at all of the planets on which we had Black Crusades, and yeah, they all had pylon arrays like this. He's destroying the pylons. Great. Awesome. I feel like 
in, well, okay. Could you say, and you and I have talked about this a lot vis-a-vis the codexes, is that, okay, was all of that out there? Was it able, were you able to find that out? Yeah, 100%. But if you were just trying to follow along in the Black Library and have a universe for this. Like me. Because I'm not the one book. reading the codices. I'm I do I'm never on Reddit unless someone sends me a funny link. Um, I had to quit Reddit because I just find myself just too much time. Yep. Well, it's very easy. I have to be very careful with Reddit. So, like, I just have this problem where I get I will get hooked on something. Like, my friends will find out they can tell when I disappear from Instagram for a while and when I come back because I just I, I just I'll sit there for an, over an hour just flipping through stuff on Instagram. It, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so, so this was some, this is something that I wanted. I even specifically talked about this on Twitter. I'm not going to call it X on Twitter years ago. It's like, well, how am I supposed to know this happened? And the response always was, well, it's in the codices. Well, I don't read the codices. Well, they put them on Reddit. I'm not on Reddit. So this was for me. I would have liked to have this. Maybe not 2017, maybe, but 2018, 2019. Yes, around, I would agree with that. Around when Dark Imperium was still in pub, you know, still like coming out. Around when you know we had uh, Watchers of Watchers of the Throne series was was releasing. Vaults of Terror was releasing. Just to kind of fill in these gaps, right? And I, I, okay. Look, here's the thing. And I think we're actually seeing this, and I don't want to delve too down much into this rabbit hole or wax sentimental on Marvel. But I think Marvel is seeing this a little bit, right? Where all of a sudden the movies are referencing things from the TV shows and they're learning that not everybody watched the TV shows. So not everybody's really invested in some of the stuff that's going on in the movies right now. Right. And I want you to take a step that take that a step back, right? Like when you have people following along in one universe versus, and I know that they're the same universe, but they're not quite the same universe. They are different ways to ingest this content because it's also like, can you imagine watching a movie, one of the Marvel movies and being like, but why did this happen? And someone going, you didn't read this 30 page arc of the comics. Nobody would do that. And I kind of feel like this is the same thing there where it's like, yes, the black library is there to support the codices, but we've talked about this a bit. I do wish this book would have come out a little bit earlier. Um, I do think it would have helped a little bit and it would also make it feel like, and you and I have talked about this a lot and we're going to talk a little bit more about this here in a second with some of their characters that they keep introducing and we don't see. Um, I feel as though it would have made it feel like they had a plan and that it was a little less shooting from the hip. Yes, I'm looking directly at you, Dark Imperium. Well, it's like, I I also can't help but think that, you know, when you are having the supporting lore on a tabletop game, right? And they're constantly chasing what they're trying to think people will buy and play. I think, obviously, that makes it very hard, too. But I I would agree with that. But at the same time, there's plenty of stuff you can have... In the meantime, yes, maybe you didn't know like how serious this was going to be, but you still could have had a book about the fall of Cadia. Because yes, as many times and... as many times as I've gone to the, the the Citadel and talked to people when they're waiting in line, because it's really always funny on the day of a big release. Because I'm in line waiting for a book, 
Someone in front of me might be in line waiting for a book. Most of the people in there are waiting in line for figures. And some of the and some of the people that are waiting in line for a book also want some of the figures, but it's there's not a, very much of a crossover. So I don't know why they haven't figured out they can have both. Because some of those those people, because I mean, I've talked to... I know we have both. But I've talked to people who are waiting in line, and I was talking about, you know, they're, we're waiting in line for the first end of the end of the death. Mm-hmm. And this guy was there to get, I think they were also releasing uh, one of the huge sets of figures. And he was just like, I don't know why you guys pay for that. It's so much money, something that's just not really worth it in the end. And I was like, and you're paying how much? For this thing of figures, that's going to be, you know, that's cost a lot more th- than this one book. But that's kind of the attitude is that they're like, we would never read those books. Well, a lot of the people who read the books don't play the tabletop. Now, there is a lot of people who read who do both. Absolutely. But I think that there's enough room to have kind of both lores going at the same time. Right. And I think like, and again... I'll point to the Marvel universe again for that to say, like, you, there's people who read comics, there's people who watch the movies, there's people who do those simultaneously together, there's people who do that separately, there's people who watch the movies but don't really watch the TV series because they didn't want to pay for another streaming service. There's people who do both, right? And so I think Marvel is starting to see this now as they're alienating some of those people who are like, no, I don't want to have to go and catch up on three different TV shows to figure out what's going on in this one movie, right? A bunch of other stuff going on there too, but um, mostly that we're just we're just done. I think everybody has superhero fatigue at this point. Well, um, uh, well my, my take on it is that I think a lot of people, they liked the way Endgame ended, and they don't need anymore because honestly what marvel is doing is we're now going through the d-list heroes oh my god yes and i feel as though but i feel like moon knight fantastic but i would never say that moon knight is an a or b-list marvel hero he's not he's niche he's incredibly niche right and i just i think you're right that you can cater to both of those people. Yes, I mean, we, we can cater to the people who like the D-list stuff. Oh, and, no, no. I mean, like, the people who are reading both the codices and the right. books. The people who are familiar with the tabletop and the books. The people who are just familiar with one or just familiar with the other, right? Because similarly, I have gone in to the, the Warhammer stores around here, and there's people who don't read the books at all, right? I know from reading Reddit, I am not the only – we are not the only people who just read the books. Right. Um, there, There's just – there's a lot – there that you can still cater toward it and i would have just liked to have seen this book i think a little bit sooner which brings me into my other point about how weird this the game games workshop and black library handles some of this stuff sometimes because we've talked a little bit about the lion how oh my god the lion's back oh my god it's amazing there's one book in 2023 talking about the lion so when Katia fell, I think they're trying to wrap up Donna Fire first before they bring the lion into anything else. That's my take. That's why they. That's why the Donna Fire books have suddenly come out rapid fire. You could be right. Honestly, there could be something to that. But I think so. When Katia first fell, 2017, all this happened. I do remember a bunch of stuff about Katarina Greyfax and how oh my god, this new Inquisitors come out of Trazen's bo- uh, Pokeballs. 
and who who is she? She's very puritanical and she's done all this stuff and she hates St. Celestine. And then, of course, obviously, the memes were fire for about her being secretly in love with Celestine yep. and like blah, 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 blah. I mean, again, the, having read this book, Robert Rath must be familiar with those memes because that was my first thought, too, is I was just like, now kiss. <laughs> um, she, she has an attractive face. I understand why people think she's the saint. Like, damn woman. <laughs> um, the wings weren't a clue. Yes, I think she was a little smitten. Um, but now we've seen her. Now we've they've established that she's a badass, and I'm here for her. I lo- I loved her introduction. I loved everything about her. I think Trazen particularly intrigues with her. Right when he's just like, if I release this, this is not going to stop. Um, what could it be? Oh, it's oh, it's Grayfax. That's interesting. Actually, I I didn't, I didn't know who Grayfax was. I just laughed really hard. It was an Inquisitor. <laughs> I mean, describe an Inquisitor in a sentence, right? But this will never stop. Pretty accurate. Especially um, Order Hereticus. They will never stop. Exactly that. Uh, um, is this going to be another character who it's like, look, what a badass. We're never going to write another book about her. I mean, she gets off planet with the Cadence. She's not, Absolutely. Men- she's not mentioned and Justin Hill's book. And I'm not saying this is Justin Hill's fault. I'm just saying that she's not been important enough to be in his books at all with, with that regiment yeah. of Cadians. We haven't seen her mentioned in any of the, the, the Kazarkin book, the Longshot book. No idea. No. Now I'm sure she's gone back to Terra because that's where the Hereticus goes. And it's just like, reporting in for duty can you fill me in what's happened in the last i don't know how many thousands of years she's been gone you know uh or did the or did or did the inquisition just kill her outright they're like uh no (laughs) who knows i have no idea i have i have absolutely no idea and it's it's unfortunate because just like with the lion i want to see more of this i want to see more of her but i don't know that we're going to and I think, unfortunately, I think you've kind of hurt my head now because I think you're absolutely right. I think they're like, well, we can't do anything else until Donna Fire wraps up. Mm-hmm. But it is weird that she's because such we, a key we're getting three, central figure. We did we get three or four Donna Fire books this year? I mean, yeah. I mean, so they're really trying to wrap this up, and I think that's what we're what they're waiting on before we can continue. And maybe that's why we're, we brought stuff back to Cadia. Trying to wrap up the whole Donna Fire thing before we can move on, which just if that's the case, then releasing the lion, the son of the forest, was kind of a major cock tease. I will completely agree with that, and yes, totally agree with that. I, 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 you did, you did hit on something else though that's a little frustrating. Is that yeah, we've seen a lot of Black Library books about. The fall of Cadia or people who have gotten off of Cadia mm-hmm. and pretty much nobody mentions Grayfax and the facts that you can make a very strong argument that the, the only reason these people get off planet is because of Grayfax. Daverna wanted to kill everybody and not let anybody escape. Grayfax is the one who steps in and gets them off. I feel like that would be somewhat important to mention. Is that just me? I think so. I almost wonder if, like, how much of an afterthought this was just from because I pulled out my copy of Cadia Stands and was like flipping through it, trying to see if like any of these people lined up, and the answer is they don't. 
except for Creed. But so how Minka gets off with Wrath Sturm is the Space Wolves basically threw them on a ship and was like, go. So now knowing about, you know, the Inquisitors, like knowing everybody's getting off, like the Space Wolves would listen to any Inquisitor telling them that you can't get off this planet. They they would have gotten those two off the planet. They would have gotten some for, people off, for, right. Regardless. Uh, but the fact that, so General Bendict is the big general that uh, Katia Stans was kind of focusing on who was sent to go basically kind of be off here just in case something happens and then he gets the call to evacuate. The fact that none of that's mentioned with him. Mm-hmm. And he gets off anyway. So it makes me wonder how much of this was an afterthought, to be totally honest, with Daverna. It could have been. A, you're. I don't know. Um, I don't know. The answer is you're absolutely right. That 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 could have been what it was. Um, it's just consistency. Consistency. Consistency in the lore. Like I feel as though, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Indominus Crusade goes ahead a hundred years and then no wait we're gonna go back it's mm-hmm. all Necrons no wait no never mind it's not all Necrons now it's all this or it's all this or it's all that or it's all that um one thing I will say about consistency though that was kind of cool because if you read if you read the you know the intro and talked about meeting with Justin Hill a lot you know going over stuff so the speeches that were in Katia stands he uses verbatim in here so Aww. that's kind of cool that's nice that's nice. I do like to hear that. Um, yeah, I like, again, there's a lot of stuff in here I really liked, and I thought it tied so well into, like, Ashes of Cadia. He clearly, clearly was talking um, about those two. Those two books were in line mm-hmm. there. I thought that was really good. I just... Well, we know they were. The Black Library just wasn't in their publications. Yeah. Which is another problem that we've talked about ad nauseum. Very much so. I, I think this just goes to that. I, I guess maybe, maybe you know, the more that we're talking about this, I still do. I, I still think that it needed to be about 200 pages shorter. Having said that, I think maybe it's the. Maybe had this come out earlier. Even, you know what? It might not even need to be trimmed if it would have come out earlier. I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know. I still think it needs to be trimmed. Struggling a little bit with it. I think they need to be trimmed a little bit. Yeah. It, it did, as I have here in my byline, it did get um, a little too James Michener for me. That's fair. That is absolutely fair. The good news is, is that... This one was very heavy and serious because everybody was dying. Spoiler alerts. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's dying and everything's terrible. But our <laughs> next book, for realsies this time, for realsies. because we teased this a couple of books ago, and I don't even know where my copy is right yeah. now. We teased this a couple of episodes ago, and then we ended up reading Gene Father by popular demand. Mm-hmm. So now for realsies this time, we are reading Vainglorious, Sandy Mitchell, Caiaphas Kane. He's back. Exactly that. Yes. I can't tell you guys how excited I am for this. I am super excited. 
want to read more Caiaphas Canvas. I've already got the Audible downloaded. I'm ready, ready to go because I have to do the Audible now <laughs> for these. For I'm these actually going to do the Audible on this one, too. Yeah, because the narrators in this, if you guys have not listened to any Caiaphas K novels on Audible, I cannot recommend it enough. The narrators that they get are just perfect. And yes, I said narrators because they do bring in lots of people. I'm so excited. So excited. Um, so excited about that. I think that should be a good one. Um, and then obviously I think everyone probably knows what we'll be finishing the year out of before we do our book of the year it's awards. Tr it's tradition to read Dagabo at the end of the year. It's tradition. I love it. It's going to be our third year in a row and I absolutely love it. It's um, also been our super... tradition probably third year in a row for the first book of the year to be a Dawn of Fire book. <laughs> Yeah. Um, here's the one thing I will say about this is that I am still glad that I got the collector's edition of this um, the book itself is absolutely beautiful and all this, the accoutrement that came with it was lovely um, oh yeah oh, just yeah. wish it would have been a little shorter well yeah because when I opened it I was just like what the, what the hell it just keeps coming the book <laughs> my husband just finished the end in the death volume 2 and um, I was complaining about this book, which if you haven't. Talk about not skipping arm day. This is volume two. So. For those of us playing at home. So throwing books all over my desk. <laughs> like, can you can you see the how? So my husband's theory, I was like, oh, man, I'm kind of struggling with this book a little bit. Um, in the beginning, I was really struggling with it. And um, he was like, oh, I kind of figured you were going to just by how thick it was. Well, how does that mean? It's like, with the Black Library, I'm noticing the thicker these books are, the more filler and padding there is. Although I think actually the Siege of Terror from his descriptions, it can all be described as filler. Um I'm starting to feel like I, I, I would prefer the shorter books and it's not because I don't like to read books and I don't like numbers. Um, I just would rather less pillar. I I mean, I've read, we were actually discussing before the podcast, we were talking about all the long books that, that, that we have read. It's not that we don't like long books. I can read long books just fine. I can't, the filler kills me. And that's, mm -hmm. and that's just a, and that's a, uh, I'm discovering more of a games workshop problem, uh, or a black library problem. Because if you look at the beginning Horace Heresy novels, for example, they are to the point, even when they get to 400 pages, there's so much going on. You don't mind that it's four to 500 pages. And do they get, right. then that's only like the, for the first six or seven books. And mm -hmm. then that's when the padding begins. Yeah. Um, I, I can't disagree with any of that. And that's, I think, I think that's going to be one of the big struggle points going forward is just keep it, keep it short and to the point, guys. Like, don't. Well, it doesn't have to be short. Just make a point. Or to the point, I guess. Yeah. yeah to the, keep it to the point. Get in, get out, tell a good story. In fact, I mean, one of the books that you and I both really liked this year that surprised us was Longshot. Got in, told a story, got out. 
kind of ironic given that it was a book about snipers. Anyway, it's not important right now. Um, well, I was about to, you know, say like, you know, your favorite Stephen King quote, you know, about uh, c- cutting your darlings where his wife is just like, he's like, why did you have all this in there? He's like, oh, but it tells this, this and this. She goes, okay, but did you have to bore the hell out of me? Yeah. Um, it's he, for people who this haven't read this. the guy who wrote the unabridged stand. So <laughs> it is longer. It is longer than the unabridged stand. Yeah, but what? but what I'm saying is the stand yeah, had I know, I know. many darlings to cut. I couldn't get through the unabridged version. Oh, many. But this book kind of reminds me of that because specifically what he was talking about is like it, one of his characters, he talks about how he had like this whole backstory about joining the city council so he could get this one ordinance changed and blah, 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 blah. And his wife is like, it doesn't serve the purpose of the story at all. Some of the stuff in here, I kind of felt like that with, especially with some of the characters, especially Helsker. I'm going to go ahead and say it with Helsker. I thought, again, we're not going to go over that again. Take us out, Carrie. (laughs) We've already gone way over time tonight. Well, I mean, have you seen the book? I mean, that's why we might have gone over time just a little bit, because there was a lot to say. Fair. So, anyway, in case you haven't realized that you've been listening to the Warhammer 40 cut book club episode regarding the fall of Cadia by Robert Rath. So be sure to join us next time for Vainglorious about Sandy. Sorry, not, not about Sandy Mitchell. It's by Sandy Mitchell. (laughs) It's late. Obviously we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the black library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like subscribe, give a review and all those wonderful things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast, literally anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40 K books and short stories outside the book club books. It's like Jen's going to pick up the Blackstone Fortress series to write about I'm going to pick up Horace Heresy again at the start of the year. I'm 10 bucks away, guys. <laughs> I can do it. I just needed a break. <laughs> and then I'll read Siege of Terra. Yeah, exactly. So please stay a while and read from a crack. I actually have my Alfarious mug today. Oops, here's the camera. I have a Ave Dominus Knox. Good night, everybody. Good night. This episode of the Warhammer 40k Book Club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k Book Club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.